that's literally why we're here is to sort of set you up for success if you want to be a more vocal advocate for franchising or just i think sometimes people think they need to be some sort of deep policy expert like members of congress or state legislators they just want to have a relationship with you and they want to understand the challenges that you're facing in their business and those are the things that you're thinking about and talking about every single day and that's all that you need to do when you're building that relationship and we can help facilitate that and kind of demystify that it should be scary or anything like that. So, you know, we welcome it. Like you said, we do have a great and powerful group of people that are involved, but we can always use more. And there's so many stories that we want to be able to tell in franchising to, you know, debunk some of the common misperceptions that, you know, it's just fast food restaurants or, you know, that you need to have millions of dollars to become a franchisee. You know, all these things are not true and the data helps, but really what helps are personal relationships. Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast. We are on a mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs just like you take action through franchise ownership, allowing you to obtain more financial freedom, time with family, and ultimately a business that can run on its own without you. Welcome to another episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. Very excited about our special guest today, Matt Haller, the president and CEO of the International Franchise Association, if you're in franchising, also known as the IFA. Matt has been a key member of the IFA team for the past 12 years, building extensive relationships with all three segments of the IFA membership franchisors, franchisees, as well as suppliers. Throughout that time, he has held several roles, including communications director, vice president of public affairs, chief of staff to the CEO, and senior vice president public affairs. In 2017, he was promoted to senior vice president of government relations and public affairs, and then to the CEO and president of the entire organization in June of 2021. During Matt's tenure leading IFA's advocacy strategy, Matt expanded the association lobbying, coalition building, grassroots marketing, research, and communication capabilities. Additionally, he took on some of the more difficult challenge, including defending the business model against a joint employer threat and significant legislative and regulatory issues in the federal, state, and local levels. Matt led IFA through the pandemic, ensuring that Paycheck Protection Plan and other relief efforts, including eligibility for franchise businesses while working with the internal team to innovate how to provide IFA members real value for their membership. I could go on and on with Matt's career and accolades, but he's currently the president and CEO leading IFA, and we're very happy to have him on. How are you, Matt? Hey, guys. I am doing great today. How are you? I'm doing well. I realized that if I kept reading your biography, we'd be here for a while. You've done a lot so far in your career, so we're just honored to have you as a guest on our podcast. Yeah, super excited to have you here. I think a good place to start probably is talk about what the heck the IFA is and maybe what it does and why it's important within franchising. So we can go from there, I guess. Yeah. So we're a trade association. Trade associations, you know, they really do three things. They advocate for the industry they represent. They, you know, create professional development and education opportunities, and they promote the industry in the public domain. So our mission at the IFA is to protect, to enhance, and to promote franchising. Pretty straightforward and simple. We've been around since 1960. We have a budget of around $15 million a year. We generate our revenue through 
dues. So we're a membership-based organization, as well as the events and other programs that we put on around the year. We have also some advertising opportunities for members and non-members. But yeah, I'll talk a little bit about the, I call it protect, enhance, promote. Protect is the work we do. You talked about my background in government relations, you know, going up to Congress, building relationships there and advocating for policies that help franchising grow. Or too often, we're telling them things that they're doing that are making it harder for franchising to grow. We do that also in the states, in the cities, and we are the International Franchise Association. We do that outside the U.S. as well when government policies need to be shaped by the organization. When you think about enhancing franchising, that is you know, a lot of the education that we do through the CFE program, as well as professional development and education that happens at the six events that we put on over the course of the year and some partner events that we're involved with as well. You know, increasingly, education is also taking place with webinars. Obviously, the world has transformed during COVID in terms of how people are you know, gathering and learning. And we produce a significant number of online learning opportunities for members as well. And then promoting franchising through our foundation, primarily through research, through different program work that we do around veterans, around diversity in franchising, and publishing research about how the franchise industry is performing. So that's a quick thumbnail sketch of what the heck the IFA does to answer your question, Christian. You know, it's interesting as I've been in franchising for a while and and now a member of the IFA, you know, I think when you start, you understand the enhanced side right away, right? Because the enhance is the CFE program and the ability to educate in the community you find through the IFA and the convention. But as you grow within franchising and it becomes your home and perhaps your net worth is tied to the industry or your career is tied to the industry, that protect component starts to become much more important as you realize that the industry that is so important to you needs to be protected. And so just to understand that a little bit more for our listeners, could you elaborate a bit on examples of where that protect continues to happen in 2023? Sure. It's a great question. It's a great point that you make about particularly, you know, maybe earlier stage franchise wars or new suppliers that are coming into franchising really are coming and finding the IFA to help grow professionally and help learn and meet other people in franchising. But at our core, the thing that IFA, you know, really differentiates us from anybody else because there are a lot of other places that you can go to get education and you know build relationships and franchising is the protecting the business model piece of this. So as you were doing my intro, you talked about things like COVID and the Paycheck Protection Program and the role that we played there. So just as an example, it was not clear how the franchise or franchisee relationship was going to be treated by Congress as they were developing that PPP program. And we often face confusion amongst public policy leaders and amongst the media about, you know, are franchise businesses really small businesses? Should they be treated like a sort of more independent business than a franchise business? And of course, our belief is, well, franchisees, they own and operate these businesses. They are small businesses just like anything else. But there's ambiguity in how government regulations will apply to that. And the PPP was a great example because there was a big debate over this. And there was a lot of concern that if they don't write these rules the right way, that big corporations were just going to you know, suck up all this money 
from independent small businesses. And we at the IFA, along with many of our members, had to be in there talking to senators and the administration during that two-week period during the beginning of COVID and March and April of 2020 as the CARES Act, you know, which was a $3 trillion government relief package being debated to put money into the economy. And ultimately, we were successful in making it clear that for the purposes of eligibility, that franchisees would be treated not just as small businesses, but also on an individual location basis. So if you had multiple locations, like you were a multi-unit franchisee or you're a franchisor that is operating multiple corporate locations still, each one of those you know units was going to be looked at individually and you could get multiple PPP loans for that individual business. So that was a huge win. Obviously, it created a lot of liquidity for our members at a time where the government was telling them it couldn't be open. They were able to keep a lot of employees on their payroll, use portions of that to cover things like rent and other overhead. So that's one example. I mean, another that you know we're fighting right now is with the National Labor Relations Board and this whole concept of joint employer. You mentioned it in my bio. It's been an issue that's been sort of on again and off again. As the political winds have changed, this is a big priority of organized labor. They would like to really organize in the franchise sector as one entity. So they'd like for franchisors and franchisees for the purposes of labor law to be treated as one business under this expanded joint employer theory. And you know they're pushing hard for the agencies to change these rules through the regulatory process, so not through Congress. And IFA is you know, making sure that both Democrats and Republicans are pushing back on that. We will likely end up suing the NLRB over this if indeed they do proceed there. So, you know, it's something that we'll continue to be focused on. I really view that as an existential issue to the future of franchising. So with that, for those in the audience that are maybe less familiar with what that means, the joint employer, can you elaborate on what exactly that means? I mean, you did a little bit, but can you talk about, I guess, more so the ramifications and the implications of if the businesses are, if the franchisor and the franchisee relationship is treated, you're treated as one big entity. What are the ramifications of that for the industry and for franchisees and for franchisors? Yeah, good question. I mean, it really eliminates the incentive for a franchisor to grow through franchising. It eliminates the ability for a franchisee to really have control over their business in a local community, right? If a franchisor is now responsible for wages and scheduling and you know other employment matters that are really the role of the direct employer which is the franchisee you know the franchising model really doesn't exist and so that's really what's at stake here when you think about this joint employer issue taken to the outcome that organized labor is pushing for ambiguity in government policy it also leads to a lot of litigation and franchisors are obligated to provide services and support to their franchisees, you know, through the franchise agreement. But ambiguity in how that support is looked at by the courts because government regulations change will change the way that franchisors are willing to provide that support. I mean, and we saw this the last time this issue was changed. Franchisors will back off providing some of that support to their franchisees. And that's ultimately going to erode their profitability it's going to lead to probably franchisee, franchisor litigation. So none of these are positives for franchising, which is why you know this is such a critical issue for the IFA 
really to make sure it doesn't ultimately happen. And we feel confident that we will. Yeah, there's so much power in the numbers, right, of the organization. Like I always think about without the IFA and the lobbying that you do and the action that you take to be a voice and communicate this to government, these things would just change without anyone really voicing why they're issues. And it's interesting because if you're in franchising, it makes complete sense, right? That joint employer would be an issue. But if you're outside of the industry, perhaps you may not fully understand why if you're in that seat that you're choosing to make that potential change to the law. So it's great that you're able to communicate a community of thousands of business systems and get that voice across the decision makers desk so that they can make a more informed decision, right? Because no one makes a decision like that with the intent to create that trickle down effect that you just mentioned, if something like that were to occur, but they are only able to make the right decision because they're educated by your team. Yeah, that's absolutely true. There is major power in our grassroots and our grass tops. So grassroots, you know, we have 8.5 million workers in franchising. There's 700 plus thousand franchise businesses. You know, we want all of them involved in, you know, sending letters to Congress when we call on them. That's really what our franchise action network is there for. The supplier community is hugely engaged. I mean, so many suppliers, while not franchisees or franchisors, generate 100% of their revenue by selling products or services to franchisees or franchisors. So if something negatively impacts franchising, you know, it's going to impact the supplier community as well. And, you know, many of them are big supporters on the grassroots front, have built at the grass tops level relationships with their own members of Congress, either directly or through the IFA. And they're big supporters of, you know, politics, money is important. We have a PAC that gives money directly to members of Congress of both sides of the aisle who are franchise champions and many of our members, about 200 individual political action committee donors to FranPAC. Let's touch on that for a moment, Matt. So you and I were on a call a few weeks back and I had asked a question that you often get asked and I realized it as the words were coming out of my mouth, which was how could I get more involved in the IFA? A lot of our listeners are currently IFA members and I think that people immediately think about all of the events and community and that side. But I think sometimes, just candidly, at least from my seat, they forget about the other areas that they can be involved where I think there perhaps is more of a need, right? Like related to the lobbying and the grassroots campaigns. Could you touch on like, if someone's listening and they want to be part of more of that protect side of the business, how can they help more? Yeah, I think what I told you, Dan, is, you know, you basically get out of IFA what you put in it. And we aren't this like nameless, faceless government thing that's in Washington. Like, you know, there's people that work here. I have a team of 35 that work for the association. 11 of them are 100% of their time is dedicated to that protect aspect of the business. So, you know, reach out to me, reach out to them. You can get my info on the IFA website. You can reach out to the generic government relations at franchise.org email list. You know, you can find any of us on LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram and just reach out and say, hey, I'd like to be involved and help. And one of my team members will respond and figure out where you're located, where you can plug in and what the issue might be. So that's literally why we're here is to sort of set you up for success if you want to be a more vocal advocate for franchising or just, I think sometimes people think they need to be some sort of deep policy expert, like members of Congress or state legislators, they just want to have a relationship with you and they want to understand the challenges that you're facing in their business And those are the things that you're thinking about and talking about every single day. 
And that's all that you need to do when you're building that relationship. And we can help facilitate that and kind of demystify that it should be scary or anything like that. So, you know, we welcome it. Like you said, we do have a great and powerful group of people that are involved, but we can always use more. And there's so many stories that we want to be able to tell in franchising to, you know, debunk some of the common misperceptions that, you know, it's just fast food restaurants or, you know, that you need to have millions of dollars to become a franchisee. You know, all these things are not true and the data helps, but really what helps are personal relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And we can obviously touch on the educational element and developing and enhancing and getting better as franchisees, franchisors. But for me, I'm sitting here in California right now in Los Angeles. And so something for me that's obviously on my mind, as I'm sure it is for a lot of franchisees and franchisors that operate in California is the FAST Act. I'm curious if you can explain to the audience, you know, what is the FAST Act? What are some of the implications there? Is there potential for that to spread to other states? And is it likely to get instituted? Because me personally, if I'm a little biased, but I personally don't think that it's a great idea. But I'm curious what your thoughts are and how likely you think it is to come to fruition. Yeah. So the FAST Act, FAST is the acronym. It's the Fast Food Accountability Standards Transparency Act. And what the act does is it creates a 10-member council that will be made up largely of members of organized labor and worker groups, along with some token member representation from the business community. And this council will set working conditions and wage rates in the limited encounter service restaurant industry for any business operating in California that has 100 or more locations nationwide. So that would include a individual single unit franchise owner in the limited or counter service restaurant industry that has one location in the state of California if the brand that they happen to be affiliated with has, you know, 100 or more locations nationwide. So obviously, the council is empowered to increase the minimum wage to as high as $22 an hour in 2023. And like I said, set wages and working conditions, which is sort of broadly defined. But these could be things like requiring one of these businesses to have, you know, a certain number of security guards operating to keep employees safe. Really what this bill, which is now a law, was designed to do is create effectively what's known as sectoral bargaining. So I mentioned earlier the union's desire to organize the franchise sector kind of top down, not as individual location by locations or owner by owner. And they've been unable to do that over the last seven or eight years as they've been focused on this campaign. So what they've done is they've gone to a state like California, where they control a lot of political power, and they've come up with this council that will effectively do this work for them and set wages and working conditions in these restaurants. So it's sort of a a new form of unionization through wage setting and working condition setting in a certain sector of industry. The good news for... The franchise community in California is that the IFA and the Restaurant Association formed a coalition that ultimately raised money and went to the voters and collected enough signatures in the state of California to pause the law from going into effect for almost two years. So 
California has what's known as this referendum process where anything the legislature does, and they do a lot of crazy stuff, can be put to the California electorate on the next general election ballot. So this question of can the state of California create an unelected body to set wages and working conditions in one segment of one industry will be put to the question of voters in 2024 in November. You know, we think, obviously, it's a terrible idea. It's not predicated on any justification around wages or working conditions being worse in these types of restaurants. You know, it's obviously going to have the net effect of dramatically increasing price of food, having an impact on the franchise business model, certainly in the restaurant sector. But this could easily be expanded to other sectors of the franchise model. Other states have started looking at this as a copycat. So a bill was introduced in Virginia. A very similar bill was introduced in New York now. So again, the unions are our primary political opponent in this. They're in this for their own political gain, not actually to help workers. So we need to be engaged and we need our members engaged. The reason we were successful in this in California is we had a lot of franchisees speaking out and talking to press and talking to policymakers and saying this is a terrible idea and ultimately we'll be successful because of the engagement of the membership. If you're enjoying this episode, please click the subscribe button. And make sure to connect with the Franchise Founders Podcast on LinkedIn. When you think about franchising or franchising establishment, the success rate, not only of the business continuing to you know, exist, right? The likelihood of that business succeeding versus failing versus mom and pop. And then you look at the general well-being and happiness and engagement of employees in a franchise system. It's actually the opposite, right? They're more often than not happier or more engaged in the franchise business model. And I think that that's a major misconception that people have about being a franchise business and having employees in that business. And it equates for so many. You'll know the, the stat better than us, of course, but the amount of jobs that franchising provides is tremendous amount. And if you create a law that, you know, ends up making half the franchises go out of business because they can't sustain that labor cost, then those employees end up not with a pay increase, but actually a decrease, right? Because they're, they don't have a job. And I think that's something people have to realize that this dramatic change in a pay wage, it sounds great. It sounds like, you know, well, we'll just raise it, but that business may only be pulling in a certain amount of margin. And if you increase the wage that much, you'd completely annihilate that business and that job. So as we switch gears a little bit, Matt, I'm excited. I, we've got, what, a couple more weeks until the IFA convention. I was wondering, you know, I would love to touch on that and some of the plans and what we members that are attending have to look forward to or people that would like to join. It's not too late, you know, what they can get out of an IFA convention. Yeah. So three weeks we'll be in Las Vegas. At the Mandalay Bay, we'll have over 4,000 attendees, really healthy mix of franchisors, franchisees, and suppliers out there. I mean, it's truly the Super Bowl of franchising. The pun's not lost on me that we're also having Drew Brees as one of our keynote speakers this year, who is really, you know, in his post-athletic career, really taken to, you know, investments in different types of businesses, but a lot of involvement in the franchise sector and not so much with you know large well-known brands like he's focused on associating with you know really emerging concepts and being very smart about how he's deploying his capital and helping those brands scale so we're really excited to have Drew as our keynote speaker 
Got a couple other great keynotes lined up. John Payton, who's the president and CEO of Dine Brands, just had a recent acquisition of Fuzzy's Taco Shop. One of the big challenges that everybody's facing, you know, in every business and franchising is not exempt from this, is where are all these people and how do we keep and retain, you know, a really quality people in the workforce? So this woman, Ginny Clark, who was the head of executive recruiting at Google, is going to share some of her perspective and we'll do what we call our franchise 10x, where we get shorter keynotes from some leading industry experts and some takeaways there. But beyond the keynotes, I mean, there's, I think, about a dozen educational tracks between franchise development, marketing, real estate is a new track we've added this year, operations, technology. So that's a great place to really immerse yourself in your area of discipline or you know stretch yourself in a new area with, I think, at least three sessions per track during our educational breakouts. There's a lot of social activities that you know, are organized through the IFA as an attendee, but also, you know, lots of our supplier partners put on really fun events outside of the Mandalay in some cases, some within. And one of our foundation programs is Franchising Gives Back. So we have a couple of service projects that'll take place over the course of the four days out in Las Vegas. You can sign up for those through the registration process if you want to get more info on that. And then, of course, the exhibit hall, which we call Franchise City, will have about 300 suppliers and some franchisors that are exhibiting in there for you know really every product or service that you could imagine and would need in a franchise business. And then lastly, we'll have our MC of the whole event is going to be a guy named Oz Perlman. Oz is the winner of America's Got Talent. He's known as the mentalist. So he's going to read everybody's minds and tell people, how do we lower the cost of lead acquisition. That's the goal. <laughs> it's just such an incredible event. You get the opportunity to learn. You get the opportunity to connect. I don't know the stat. Matt, just curious, out of the amount of, and I don't know if you know the, the answer to this off the cuff, but how many franchisors would you say percentage-wise are not an IFA member? Is there any stat on that? Well, it's a little murky because there's so many franchisors that are almost at like startup stage. But if you look at like the Entrepreneur 500, you know, we probably have 80% of that list that are members of the IFA. If you look at the overall industry, I'd say we have probably 70 to 80% of the franchise economy kind of represented within the IFA membership. Yeah, and of established franchises, a higher number. That, That makes sense. It's just, it's interesting to me because like just, Candidly, I can't imagine as I launched my franchise system, you know, being part of the IFA and having the access. Now, granted, I've been for many years accumulating relationships, but with the connection in franchising through the IFA to other franchisors and the amount of people that are willing to give back, even in the same space that I'm going into teaching, you know, I tell family of mine, I'm making a substantial investment, seven figure investment into starting my franchise, but I, know that I have this, it's like I have these training wheels around me. I have so many people in the franchise community that I can lean into. And it's interesting because there's not that many people in franchising in the scope of the world, right? But if you're an IFA member and you're at these events, literally you could talk to someone that has 400 units and they'll worth, you know, tremendous amount of money and success, yet they'll spend two hours with you if if you call them up. It's a part of the IFA membership that 
still fascinates me. Or even yourself, you'll take the time to be on our podcast. Like it's just such a close knit community. Just a quick pause in our little break here. If you're enjoying the Franchise Founders podcast, please hit the like button, the subscribe button, leave us a review. We're trying to climb to the ranks of the podcast landscape. And if you're enjoying listening to Matt, the IFA has a tremendous podcast called Franchise Voice. I also highly recommend listening to that, subscribing to that. You can find it in all the places that you can look for a podcast. Just to piggyback on what you said earlier, Dan, the thing I love about franchising and the reason I think it is important to be a member of the IFA is because if you're coming from a different industry, you might think, look, I've been in the financial industry before. It's very, very cutthroat. It's not every day that you see competitors collaborating together, or at least not in the same way that I see within the franchise community. It's unlike any other industry I've seen out there where, like Dan had mentioned, you have people that on paper are complete competitors, same industry, same business, competing for the same franchisees, competing for the same end user, but but they're still helping each other and they're still giving best business practices because they understand that there's enough for all of us. And the whole goal is to elevate and enhance and advocate for franchising And I love that the industry does that. And I think that joining the IFA, not only does this organization really help protect franchising, but you get access to this community of people that really love you. And like Dan, again, like you had mentioned, these people that are going to help you and give you advice and mentor you and go to bat. I mean, the joke is it's kind of like an incestuous industry, right? In the sense that everybody is there for you and they help each other out. And it's a big industry, but it's also small. And so you can really have a home here. And I think just being a part of an organization that's going to go to bat for you is really, really critical and a place where you can grow. And something I don't think we've touched a whole lot on yet is the enhanced aspect of it and growing as a franchisor, as a franchisee. I think you're either growing or you're dying. And so if you're not investing into yourself and into your business and into your people, then you're falling backwards. And so it's important to get better as a franchisor to be aware of what's going on. So can you talk about as franchise professionals, I know that you had mentioned, I know that there's some upcoming refreshments and augmentation with the CFE, right? So can you touch on, Matt, some of those enhancements that are coming down the pike and any other ways that franchisors and franchisees can enhance their businesses and themselves and their people? Sure. So we're all facing challenges on the how do we retain our best people. And I think one of the best ways to do that for a business or any organization is just investing in them and in their learning and their career professional development. And so... We do that with our team inside the association through, you know, those that are lobbyists, you know, professional development in that area, those who are meeting planners, investing in them. But if you're in franchising, the CFE program is really the place to learn or teach somebody that you want to pursue a career in franchising and really professionalize that. So over 4,000 people that now have their CFE, Certified Franchise Executive, designation. And it's a complete soup to nuts crash course on all the aspects of the franchise business model. So, you know, that is a program that we have put more resources into at the IFA and now brought in some exciting new partners in the last year to really take that program to an even higher level. So we recently launched a partnership with the University of Louisville. So now the core components of the CFE program, these five courses will be required to go through one of the cohorts at the U of L. And we're already into our third cohort just in the first few months of the program. We have other 
partners, both in academia as well as in the for-profit space that we have brought to bear in the last year. And we'll just continue to scale that. In many ways, anybody that wants to be doing professional development in franchising should be partnering with the IFA CFE program, not necessarily as a required course, but as a almost certificate-like add-on to the CFE. A lot of the other events that both the IFA and our industry partners put on have eligibility for CFE participation credits as well. So as you're attending events, you should be applying for that time towards your CFE. And we have a certain formula in terms of the mix between participation credits and traditional curriculum credits that need to be earned to get that full designation. So there's a lot of excitement and energy around the CFE program inside the IFA. The investment we're making in it is happening at a critical time, given you know our members are increasingly telling us they need more people at the franchisor level or in the supplier community who really know franchising. And franchising, you know, it's not really taught at business schools, right? And we're trying to change that through some of these partnerships with universities as well, so that we are developing a talent pipeline even earlier than trying to teach people that are already working in the sector. You know, the CFE to me is such a tremendous resource. Like I brought on someone into our team and the first thing I said was like, you know what? Go get your CFE. I want you to get your CFE if you're going to work here. And it's a commitment to the industry. You said you're going to stay. You love franchising. I want you to make that commitment. And now in my case, we decided to cover and invest into like not all of it, but some of it. And you're so right, Matt. Like I didn't realize it at the time because I just thought like, I want this to happen. So you learn more about franchising and there's a commitment to the industry. And it shows that as an organization, we're committed to the industry. But I didn't realize that additional effect was that teammate felt supported, right? Like that we were willing to make the investment into them and help them become a better executive in franchising. It's easy to do. Like you get overwhelmed because it's, you know, you got to travel, you got to go to events, but it's like the kind of thing that you just start it and all of a sudden you're done and you learn a ton. You meet a bunch of people. I think it's a great program. I wanted to ask, you alluded to it earlier in the segment, but I feel like we, by accident, we brushed past it. Fran Pack. Could you touch on the Fran Pack and what that is, how you can get involved, what it does? Yeah. So Fran Pack is a PAC is a political action committee. It's a way for a corporation, association, labor union, really any politically engaged organization to give money directly to members of Congress. And IFA's had Fran Pack for you know over 30 years. We raise about $1.2 million each year for FranPAC, and we give it to members of both parties. We do not give to presidential candidates. So we'll work with whoever's in the White House, whether it's this octogenarian or the last octogenarian or the next octogenarian. And FranPAC, you know, we give it to members who, you know, support franchising. It is an important way for table stakes for a trade association to you know, really build relationships for our staff, but also for our donors, you know, we want them attending events on our behalf and, you know, saying, hey, I really want to get to know you better. Would you come visit my corporate headquarters or visit my supplier headquarters and meet, you know, my team or come to my franchise business and meet my employees? So we give a lot of checks to members of Congress outside of events in DC. You know, we tend to host a lot of events for some of our even bigger champions who you know are committee leaders and things like that 
And, you know, I know money in politics, it makes everybody frustrated about how much there is. But like your point earlier, Dan, if you're not engaged with both resources and people, you know, you're going to be on the outside of these things looking in. And that's not where the industry wants to be. So anybody that's interested in FranPAC, you can learn more about it on our website or just reach out to me directly and talk to you more about that. Well, fantastic. I mean, Matt, really appreciate the time here today. Before we wrap up here, where can people find out more about the IFA? How can they get involved? I mean, we've talked a lot about that, but what's like a good first step that they can take and if they want to get involved in the IFA and learn more about what exactly it is and how to get involved again. So how to do that? Yeah, Christian, franchise.org is the front door to the association. So that's our website. Like I said, we're on a number of the social networks. We're on LinkedIn. We're pretty active there. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram as well. Certainly the IFA convention, you know, if you really want to like throw yourself into it, check out convention.franchise.org to register. I would say if you're not a member, email the membership team and set up a phone conversation to talk about cost and all of the benefits. And really, we thrive on concierge service. I mean, so our membership team will sort of sherpa you through making the most out of your membership and figure out where your needs or interests most are. And, you know, Paul Rocchio, he's sort of the godfather of franchising. He's my head of our membership development. He will make you feel immediately like a member of the franchise family. So it truly is a place where people are willing to give back and, and mentor newcomers. And, you know, again, we can't do it without our great members. And that's what's really cool about getting to represent this industry. And kudos to you guys for being big supporters of ours. And thanks for having me on and giving us a little time to talk about everything we got going on. Absolutely. Anytime. Super big supporters of the IFA and what you guys do. Really appreciate what you guys do for the industry. I think it's insanely important. So thanks so much for all you do, Matt. Thanks for coming on to the Franchise Founders Podcast and for everyone that's tuning in. Uh, appreciate it. Like Dan said, give us a subscribe, leave us a review, all that good stuff to help us spread the mission of why franchising is awesome, how to succeed in it. And we'll see you all in the next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. If you want our help with anything from buying a franchise to franchising your business to anything in between, shoot us an email at franchisefounders at gmail.com.